three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 379. We are banging through these episode numbers very, very quickly. I remember 300 earlier this year. I can't believe how many. It just it goes by so fast. Uh, today we are doing NFL predictions for the NFC East and the NFC West. Now, I want to share a, a personal note before we get in today. I think today is the first day in quite a while where I've had a really hard time with YouTube comments. And I, I normally, like, I, I like it's sports. It's not life or death. And I think to some degree that actually makes people a little bit meaner because they know they can say whatever they want. And it doesn't really matter. I, I don't know. I just, I'm having a hard time today. It, it's, I, I love my job very much. I, I love creating. Like, my favorite thing in the world is getting up at 4 a.m., sitting at my desk, writing something I, I feel good about and I'm excited to put out. And, or, like, I think something I think is clever or thoughtful. Or, and, and I love 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 watching sports that's like my passion and um man it's crazy i people are so mean like so angry and prediction season is always hard for me because i and i i kind of get it like if you're a fan of a team you invested something into this team and you're hopeful and you're excited and you're looking forward to having a good year and then if you hear news that your team isn't going to win in the super bowl or might have three losses more than you think or whatever like you feel like i'm just crapping all over something you're excited about and that that would suck right if i i i I love 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 the movie star trek and if someone just trashed on the movie star trek i I would be very very sad and so i get it um but i I, i've had this thought all day and i'm like I'm, i'm trying to understand the mind of people who are really really angry and mean on social media and then I'm like, well, what about the people at the grocery store or this or that? And I realized like, I think a lot of people are, are just like, I, I, let me back up, you know, and I'm rambling here, but I want to start this way. I really do want to start with a human element. Um, you know, I, I get really, really angry in my life and I'm working on it. I'm trying really hard and going to therapy and doing journaling. I've realized like I get angry when I'm sad. And it's easier to be sad than it is – or sorry, it's, it's way harder to be sad. Like ha- sad is like really vulnerable and hard for me. Angry? Oh, hell yeah. I can bring it on. And uh, I, I think a lot of people are, are just really, really having a hard time in life. And the people that are mean on social media or YouTube comments or whatever are people who are having a hard time and going through something. And sports are like the good part of their day that they look forward to. And so when they hear someone like me – talk about their favorite team, I, I would imagine that hurts. And so I had to talk through that before we start the show today, because I've, I've been having a hard time with that. And I want to, I just have to say it out loud. It helps me feel better about it. Um, I love making content, man. It's my, it's my favorite thing in the world. And actually probably my least favorite part of my job is putting stuff out. Like I, I hate editing. I hate all long uploading takes. I, uh, I just like writing and talking and getting to be myself on camera. Anyway, long ramble over. Let's jump into the NFC East. Uh, I want to say, like, this is my favorite group of human beings in the the NFC East fan bases. Uh, Washington, New York, Dallas, uh, Philadelphia, they are a tough bunch. And they are, you know, I don't know, man. They always are very angry and often angry at me. Giants fans are going to hate me this year. And Eagles fans are, oh, boy. And Cowboys fans already got really mad at me. I put out their prediction video, uh, you know, a couple days ago. But I want to defend these people, actually. 
I think sports are better with the NFC East fan bases. New York getting really angry, spitting on players and booing people. And I like I don't hate that. I really I really don't mind like Giants fans. Feel free to talk smack to me like I. Hey, we'll have I'll, I'll try to have fun with it. I'm trying not to let it hurt my feelings. Um, but I like you know me if I'm wrong it, week eight. If the Giants are like eight and oh and killing it. Of course, I'm going to say, look at how dumb I was. I was totally wrong. And so um, I just I want to start that way by saying, like, I, I really, truly do enjoy the NFC East fan bases, how passionate, how much they care. Like the worst thing in the world is an apathetic fan base. People like like L.A. I've, I've lived in L.A. Oh, my gosh. They do not care about football like at all. I live in Hawaii now and there's no like. They love high school football, and some people really like the college football team, but there's no, like, really big, passionate group of people that just love a local NFL team. There isn't one here. A lot of people are Raiders fans, but it's it's not the same. I've been back east, and every time I go to the east coast, like, that's a different breed of person. And I just want to say, like, to start off the show, I really – despite a lot of people – I got a, a YouTube – or what is it? A Patreon question a while back saying, like, how do you feel about the AFC East fan – or the NFC East fan bases – Dude, the people back east, Eagles fans, Cowboys fans, which aren't east, but whatever, they still are really passionate. Uh, Giants fans. Dude, you guys are what make, in my opinion, sports really, really fun. And so uh, bring it on. Let's have some fun. But uh, I just want to be clear. Like, I actually appreciate the passion. So let's jump in. I believe the Washington football team will go 10-7 and and win the NFC East. They will be first in their division. I believe this is the best team in their division, and uh, they made a couple of moves this offseason that I really, really liked. They brought in a new starting safety, Bobby McCain. They added a corner, William Jackson the third. Uh, Washington's new starting middle linebacker, by the way, uh, is Jamin Davis, a guy who they picked number 19 overall in the first round of the most recent NFL draft. He's a rookie. He had a great year last year at Kentucky, so they looked at their defense and brought in a couple new people, and... Last year, this was a defensive-led team, and it was their strength. Now, this year, their strength, their defense got even better, in my opinion. I'm like, hey, new starting safety, new starting corner, new middle linebacker. Uh, By adding these guys, they already were easily the best defense in the entire NFC East. They're even better, and they're scary good, especially up front on the defensive line. They have four first-round picks on this defensive line. They have Chase Young, who is a monster. People think he's going to win the Defensive Player of the Year. I'm like, ah! a bit extreme, but he is phenomenal. Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Montez Sweat, like Washington's defensive line is terrifying. I would not want to play them at all. If I was a quarterback in the NFL, I'm like, hey, there's one team in this league I, I just don't want to play. It's Washington. I'm like, I'm, I'm good, man. Like, I, I would actually rather play Cleveland, and Cleveland has a good defensive line. I'm like, I, I don't, Washington terrifies me. They are going to get a ton of pressure on opposing quarterbacks. They're going to be really, really hard to run the ball against Uh, And in their division, like, I look at the New York Giants, and I go, oh, boy, the Giants' offensive line is going to get embarrassed by Washington. Like, it's not true, but you could almost say, like, Washington is designed specifically to torment the uh, Giants' offensive line. Now, uh, in their secondary, I talked about how Washington added a new safety, Bobby McCain. They added corner William Jackson III. Uh, They also have corner Kendall Fuller. And stud safety, Landon Collins. That's a good secondary. This defense is phenomenal. Uh, now, very top to bottom. I, I do. There's a question I want to ask, though, about Washington's defense. 
they were really, really good last year. And you have to ask the question, was part of why they looked so good because of how bad their division was? Like, Dak Prescott got hurt. Philly was awful. The Giants were bad on offense. And I think it's a fair criticism to say, well, like, part of why Washington was the second-ranked defense in the NFL was because their division was so bad. That's six games on your schedule against bad offenses. But I would also say that based on the additions Washington made this offseason— any gaps or questions you could have had were like you the, last year at the end of last year, there's room to doubt. Well, how good is this team? They played six really weak games. Okay. Well, let's say the Cowboys are better a little bit and Philly's a little bit better and the Giants are a little bit better. And maybe the, the teams they play are a little bit harder because they made the playoffs last year. Well, they added three starters to their defense. It was already good and, you know, filled any gaps they had. So I feel really, really good about Washington's defense. They are still one of the best defense in the, in the defenses in the, in the entire NFL. Can't even talk. And not only are they one of the best, they got even better from last year. Now, on offense, I really, really like this receiving core in Washington. Uh, they signed Curtis Samuel, a guy from Carolina. He followed Ron Rivera over as soon as he could, his contract ended. Now, part of why he came to Washington wasn't just because of Ron Rivera. He also was very happy to get a three-year, $30 million-something contract. Uh, Curtis Samuel is very very versatile. Like he can move all over the field. He even played some snaps at running back last year when Christian McCaffrey got hurt in Carolina. Uh, now, unfortunately, Curtis Samuel's going to be out for at minimum the first three games. He's on the injured reserve right now, dealing with a groin injury. But once he is back, Curtis Samuel is going to make a very, very big impact in Washington. Now, Washington also signed Adam Humphreys. He's entering year seven of his career. Uh, he's a receiver. His best year was in 2018, a couple years ago. Uh, he went to Tennessee. Part of why he wasn't great in Tennessee was because he was hurt a lot. Part of it was because they ran the ball a ton with Derrick Henry. Like, you don't get a lot of opportunities. I think he only, like, he caught almost every pass thrown to him in 2018. Maybe, was it two years ago? There were, one of the years recently, he was like, he, he was targeted 47 times and had 37 catches. Like, this dude catches everything. Uh, and I think if he can stay healthy, he's going to have a really, really good year and contribute to this offense as well. Now, my absolute favorite player, not only on this offense, but it's on this entire team, is star receiver Terry McLaurin. He's a former third-round pick, and the fact that this guy somehow, and I wasn't paying enough attention to the draft at that time. If I could go back, I, I wish, I, I would hope I'd be someone who would recognize how good he is, but I probably wouldn't have. Uh, Terry McLaurin, this guy's amazing. He had over a 1,000 yards receiving last year, even though Washington had four different starting quarterbacks last year. Like, it's unbelievable that Terry McLaurin put together as good of a year he did with as inconsistent of quarterback play he had last year. I really hope he's going to get a quarterback that plays all year this year uninterrupted. That would be phenomenal for his career. Uh, now, Washington's tight end is Logan Thomas. I'm a big fan of his as well. He played quarterback, actually, in college at Virginia Tech. He has worked very, very hard to transition from a quarterback to a tight end. Had a, you know, put together a good career. He entered the league, I think, in 2014. And his work ethic has very, very much impressed me throughout his career in the NFL. Logan Thomas, tight end, number one. He's awesome. Uh, now, the offensive line is solid in Washington. Not amazing, but solid. Like, very good. Uh, they franchise tag guard Brandon Scherf. Good move there. They need to solidify things. Uh, I think moving forward, like after this year, probably Washington is going to have to make a change or two on their offensive line because uh, they need to make sure they have talent in the future beyond just this year. But for now, for this year, they're good enough to win. And uh, I'm like, okay, not the best in the NFL. They're not New Orleans. They're not 
um, you know, the Patriots, but they are definitely fairly, fairly good. Now, the biggest move that Washington made this offseason, they signed veteran quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick. Fitzmagic, they call him. I uh, got a one-year deal. And Ryan Fitzpatrick is the kind of quarterback that makes you pick a side. You either believe in the guy or you don't. Now, I will tell you, I'm one of the only people who probably feels really, really good about Ryan Fitzpatrick. I have a reason. I will tell you in a moment. Uh, he turns 39 in November, and he's been on nine different teams in his NFL career, including Washington. And it's been a very up and down and inconsistent career where he, you know, for moments he'll look fantastic. Then he'll have a game where he throws like five interceptions, and you're like, what's going on? And I actually, here's why I believe in Ryan Fitzpatrick. This is the first time in his entire NFL career that he's at a, not just a team believe in him, but had a good football team believe in him and been committed to him. Remember, once upon a time, Ryan Fitzpatrick was in New York and Buffalo and Houston, and he started all over the place for many, many different teams. But the teams where he was the starting quarterback in the past were really, really bad. And in Tampa, they never really wanted him. He was always number two and never first choice. Remember, they, they drafted Jameis Winston number one overall. They were always hoping that Jameis would develop into their starting quarterback. And he never really got, I think, a fair look in Tampa. And the same story happened in Miami where he was the backup in Miami. They were like, ah, oh, you're going to mentor Tua. We drafted Tua number five overall. And so I, I think inner squad politics have always been a problem for Ryan Fitzpatrick getting on the field and staying on the field. Like if he had been the best quarterback in Miami, it wouldn't have mattered because, and I think you could argue he was, but they're like, well, it doesn't matter. We invested a, a top five pick into a, we're going to ride or die with this guy and commit to him. You're too old to be committed to. And people do not realize how much it can impact your quarterback when a team wants you to be the starter. Like if you're a quarterback and the team wants you and is committed to you, not only do you have more confidence and more comfort, you're free to take a couple more risks and do things you wouldn't normally do. You don't have to play with that tension of this team doesn't want me here. So what I love about Washington in this particular situation, Washington was not looking for a long-term franchise quarterback. They don't care that he's 38 going on 39. And Really, all Washington wants is a good quarterback who can help them win right now this year. They want to capitalize on the good roster that they have and win games now. They're not worried about five years from now. In fact, Washington head coach Ron Rivera has made that very clear. He doesn't care where you were drafted, how much money you make. That's why he cut Dwayne Haskins last year. Like That was a very big message to the league. Hey, Ron Rivera ain't worried about five years from now. He wants to win right now. And if you're screwing around and not doing the right stuff, you're going to get cut and lose your job. So that kind of attitude is an advantage for Ryan Fitzpatrick who's a guy who is not going to have any team say, you're a quarterback for the next six years. He's never going to get a contract like that. He's too old. But this situation is perfect because he's got a team who wants him now. And finally, he's on a really good team. He's going to have a good time throwing the ball to Terry McLaurin. You can make all kinds of plays. And so Washington, in my opinion, is not only a, a team ready to win a lot of games. I have them going 10-7 and seven this year, which is not amazing. Uh, I think, in, to me, that helps them win their division, uh, the NFC East. But Washington's also just this perfect opportunity for Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's a team that it, it is just looking for a mercenary quarterback who they can pay to be their guy now, now and help them win right now. And 
frankly, I think it's the best team that Ryan Fitzpatrick has ever had. Uh, that Not only that he played on, but committed to him and wanted them to be their starting quarterback. By the way, Fitz can move around. He's a lot better athlete than people realize. He can run for five or six yards when he needs to on third down. I think that's a part of his game that often gets overlooked because he's older. But don't discount Ryan Fitzpatrick's ability to run around a little bit and extend plays. Again, I have this team going 10-7. and seven. They have some tough games. Week one, they play the Chargers. Week three, at Buffalo. Week six is Kansas City. Week seven is at Green Bay. That's going to be interesting. Uh, one thing worth noting, Green Bay has a, a couple starting offensive linemen, and they had to move, God, isn't it El, it's literally Elgton, E-L-G-ton, Elgton Jenkins. They had moved from guard to left tackle because David Bakhtiari, their all-pro left tackle, is out for at least the first six weeks. So if you're a Packer fan, you are praying and praying and hoping that your left tackle, David Bakhtiari, comes back before you have to play this fantastic Washington defensive line. Uh, week 10, Washington plays Tampa at home. That'll be fun because it's a rematch of that playoff game we had last year where Taylor Heineke had this great game and they almost beat Tampa and Tampa went on to win a Super Bowl. So I, I think, in fact, I, I have Washington winning that game. Um, so, I, look, I, I, I want to mention Taylor Heineke because let's say I'm wrong and something goes very awry with Ryan Fitzpatrick, I'm interested in Taylor Heineke. He, I, I think the same way politics affected Ryan Fitzpatrick's career forever, I think they benefited Ryan Fitzpatrick this year and hurt Taylor Heineke. Taylor Heineke got a long-term contract. They kept him in Washington, but they didn't commit to him. He's not their starting quarterback. But if something goes wrong, I do really look forward to potentially getting to see him play and see, like, was that a fluke? Was, that, uh, was he a one-hit wonder who just had a great game in the playoffs against Tampa? Or can he repeat that? in the future if he has to. Uh, so, uh, look, I-, I will say, this team going 10-7 and seven makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, if you were able to give Washington maybe Dallas's three or four best players, if they had Dak Prescott at quarterback and linebacker Leighton Van Der Esch and wide receiver Amari Cooper, like, that's how close Washington is from going, instead of 10-7, and seven, you know, 13-4 and four and making a long, deep playoff run, you know, maybe winning a Super Bowl. I don't think they're a team capable of winning the Super Bowl. They're a team that's going to win their division, make the playoffs, have a good, fun year. Uh, but ultimately, I see Washington down the stretch losing in the playoffs because their offensive line isn't good enough. And uh, I, I don't – I love Fitz. I think he's going to have a great year, truly. And I, I might be the only person in the world saying that. Uh, but I don't think he's going to beat – You know, is he going to beat Cleveland in the Super Bowl? Is he going to beat Green Bay on the road? I don't think so. Can he beat Tampa on the road in the playoffs? Like, I don't think so. Uh, Washington is going to go 10-7, and seven, have a fun year, but lose in the playoffs after winning their division. By the way, side note, uh, the punter for Washington, Trey, uh, Trey, sorry, I can't even say his name, Tress Way. I'm, I always want to say Trey West, but it's, no, it's Tress Way. It's his real name. I don't, I don't know how you end up with the word, name Tress as your first name as a kid. Uh, but he is a fantastic punter, a fan favorite. I love him in interviews. Uh, and all that really does is make their defense even better. Like the offense will screw up. They're going to punt the ball away, pin the team back deep in their own territory. And then Washington's defense can do- go do their thing. So Tressway is a valued member of the Washington football team and a really, really good punter. Okay, uh, let's now talk about Dallas. It's uh, not going to make people happy. I believe the Dallas Cowboys will go 6-11 and 11 this year. And I know that Cowboys fans are probably very, very angry hearing that. Now, I would remind people it's not my job to make people happy. It's my job to say what I believe. 
Uh, but, you know, before I get into what their problem is, I'm going to introduce the team. But I want to say that I think the Cowboys are a team that has a couple really good players, some, you know, a star player there, star player there, some, some talent, sure, spattered throughout their team. But having a couple good players does not necessarily mean you have a good football team. And I look at other teams around the league and I go, man, Dallas has a lot of holes on their roster that other teams in the league that are competing for a Super Bowl simply do not have. Now, I want to talk about what's new to this team. Obviously, Dak Prescott is not new to the team, but he is coming back from an injury. That's a big deal. He got a massive contract. I'm happy for him. But the more interesting thing to me that's new to this football team from last year is they hired a new defensive coordinator, Dan Quinn. Now, Dan Quinn is a former head coach in Atlanta, and the hope is that he can come in and fix the Cowboys' defense. They were a mess last year, and I think it's very possible Dan Quinn does well. Remember, Dan Quinn won a Super Bowl in Seattle as a defensive coordinator. Uh, he also went to another Super Bowl with Atlanta. Now, that did not go very well. We don't need to spit on his grave here. Uh, and even though the guy failed as a head coach, I wouldn't be quick to assume he will fail as a defensive coordinator because, you know, head coach and defensive coordinator are not the same role. He's done well as a defensive coordinator in the past. There's nothing that says he couldn't do well as a defensive coordinator again in the NFL. Here's the problem. I don't think that having... You can have good scheme and good play design, uh, but I think the talent on the back end and their secondary is going to be a problem down the road. We'll, we'll dive into that more. Uh, but I have an open mind about Dan Quinn. I don't think he's necessarily just going to fail because, uh, because of the fact that he wasn't a great coach in Atlanta down the stretch. Now, another addition to this team, aside from Dan Quinn, is first-round pick rookie linebacker Micah Parsons. He'll be really fun to watch. Uh, you're pairing him alongside stud linebacker Leighton Vanderesh. There's another starting rookie on this defense uh, for the Cowboys, defensive tackle Osaru Odigazua from UCLA, a guy I went to high school with back in Portland, Oregon. Uh, I'm just rooting for him big time. I I'm so excited to see him on the starting roster. I was looking at their team, and I'm like, dude, Osa is starting? Oh, my gosh, that's really cool. Shout out to him. Uh, the defense also added DeMonte Casey in free agency. He's a safety that played for Dan Quinn last year in Atlanta. They have receivers Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, and Michael Gallup. Great running back Ezekiel Elliott. A really stud star defensive end to Marcus Lawrence. So Dallas is interesting to watch. I mentioned, you know, Amari Cooper, Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, DeMarcus Lawrence, CeeDee Lamb. Like, star players, sure. But again, that does not necessarily mean you have a good football team. And there are some really big holes and problems with this roster. Uh, and the two major problems are, number one, they have a... I think problem number one is their secondary. We'll get to problem number two in a moment. Um, I am hopeful that second-year corner Trayvon Diggs will develop and become a good starting corner in the NFL for the Cowboys. Uh, and he has a lot of potential. But after him, man, the Cowboys' pass defense is a big question mark. Their number two corner is just like, I'm like I have no confidence in him. Uh, yeah, they brought in a new safety, uh, DeMonte Casey from Atlanta, but that's not really like, it's not like he was a star last year in Atlanta. I have major questions about their past defense. And I, I think that frankly, opposing teams are going to have a field day. Like they play, what is it? Week nine, they play Denver. Who's got a multitude of great receivers. Um, week 17, they play Arizona. You're telling me they're going to go up against Christian Kirk, DeAndre Hopkins, AJ Green and do well. No, Dallas is going to really, really struggle against teams that have good receiving cores. Um, so I just really, really worry about Dallas's ability to stop, uh, other teams passing attacks. Now here's problem number two, you know, the secondary is a big deal, but the offensive line is also a really big concern in Dallas. Uh, this is a D an offensive line, almost a defensive line, an offensive line that has been really good in the past, 
You have three former Pro Bowlers. You have left tackle uh, Tyron Smith, right tackle Lyle Collins, right guard Zach Martin. So these are guys who've been really, really good in the past. And on paper, they're great. Like If this was Madden, I'd say, hey, yeah, this is a really good offensive line. But the reality is that last year, these guys missed a combined 36 games. And, you know, these guys are aging. The quality of their play is declining. Uh, and, and frankly, they can't stay healthy. So I just do not have a lot of confidence in this offensive line. And it feels like a problem that should have been addressed a long time ago that is getting ignored over and over again. Every, every year, I'm like, are we still, oh, the Cowboys still are not going to deal with their offensive line. It gets a little bit older and a little bit weaker every single year. Not to mention, you look at the Cowboys' schedule, and they play a number of really, really tough road games. They play at Tampa, at the Chargers, at New England, at Minnesota, at Kansas City. I'm like, that's a loss, that's a loss, that's a loss, that's a tough game. Now, Week 10 will be fun. Week 10 is Dan Quinn against his former team, the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, that, I just think that'll be really fun to watch. But here's the reality of the Cowboys. Their offensive line is washed up. And having a new defensive coordinator is great, but if you have no talent in your secondary, it's not going to matter. And so it makes me laugh and feel a little bit confused when Jerry Jones, the Cowboys owner, talks about winning a Super Bowl. I'm like, well, you talk about Super Bowls, but you ignore these massive problems with your roster. I look at other teams around the league. I'm like, the Browns are stacked. The Buccaneers are loaded. The Bills have no holes on their team. And the Cowboys have glaring problems. So it's weird to me to talk about a Super Bowl when the Cowboys have these massive issues that feel like they're being ignored. And uh, that is why I believe the Dallas Cowboys will go 6-11 and this year. All right, let's now talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I hope people can look at the topic I've prepared here and appreciate it. I tried to do something more thoughtful, uh, a little bit creative, because I, I always feel bad when I put out a prediction for a team. It's just awful. And I'm doom and gloom, and I'm like, eh, next, your team sucks. And I think fans feel kind of punched in the gut. And I don't like doing that. I don't like giving bad news. And so uh, in this topic, I try to, I want to preview the team, uh, and I want to share my prediction as well. But I also want to offer a roadmap for how I could be dead wrong and how Philadelphia, in fact, could be, instead of 3-14, and 14, like I predict, a really good football team. So, yeah, that is my prediction. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm not real confident in that. I look at their team. And I'm like, well, rationally, like, even though I went through my process, I have this whole system, I'm like, well, I still look at their Eagles roster and go, they have a lot of talent, they have a lot of potential, they're clearly, like, there is a way for this football team to be good, so I want to try to share that with you. So I guess, in my chart, in my massive notebook, I'm going to stick with 3-14 and as my official prediction, Uh, and the three games I have Philadelphia winning this year are Atlanta Week 1, the Giants week, Week 16, and then beating Washington Week 17 at the end of the year. Uh, But there is a way I could be wrong, and in fact, very, very wrong, because the potential of this football team, if they can live up to it, is really high. Now, I don't normally do this, but there are so many unknowns with the Eagles roster this year where I'm like, you know, if that goes right and that goes right. I kept saying over and over, I'm like, well, if this and if that and if this, I'm like, I should just make a topic and share all those things and kind of make it a weird prediction. So there are five things that I think are hanging in the balance that if they go right and turn out very, very well for Philadelphia in their favor. If those five things go right, Philadelphia could not only be, you know, much better than three and 14. They could even maybe win their division title. They're definitely going to be a competitive football team. So number one, what needs to happen if Philadelphia wants to be a good football team this year, they need to have a good offensive line 
that stays healthy. Now, right tackle Lane Johnson struggled a lot with injuries last year. He only played in seven games. He hurt his ankle. Uh, That was a season-ending injury for him. Hey, stuff like that cannot happen this year if Philadelphia wants to be good. Now, uh, a little, like, a couple days ago, this next sentence would have been different. I, I, you know... Andre Dillard's a former first-round pick for Philadelphia. He was going to be the left tackle, in my mind, going into this year. He got hurt, was trying to recover, and they replaced him. And it was supposed to be just temporary for a brief period, maybe game one. Jordan Mailata was supposed to be the starting left tackle. And then I woke up this morning and got some life-changing news. Jordan Mailata is signing a four-year, $64 million extension that could be worth up to $80 million and includes $40.85 million guaranteed. Hey, the Eagles got themselves a new left tackle. I love this guy. Uh, Jordan Mailata is a former Australian rugby player who really hadn't played football before he joined the NFL. And I, I'm a big fan of his story. I'm a big fan of him as a person. I encourage you, if you are a... Even like a little bit interested. Look up Jordan Mailata on YouTube, his interviews. Dude is really kind, really humble. Like one of my favorite human beings in the NFL. It just pours out. I'm like, this dude is an awesome guy. I'm rooting for him. So, hey, that's if you're an Eagles fan and you're hoping you have a good offensive line, that's good news there. They got a new left tackle, Jordan Mailata. Right guard Brandon Brooks tore his Achilles last year. He's back this year. Uh, He's another guy, though. Similar to Lane Johnson, Brandon Brooks has an injury history. Now, center Jason Kelsey is a stud. He is the crown jewel of this offensive line. And look, I want to be clear here. Philadelphia's offensive line, the Eagles' offensive line, has a ton of potential. They could be really good, but they have to stay healthy. Now, number two, the Eagles added two players to their secondary this offseason. They brought in safety Anthony Harris from Minnesota and a corner Steven Nelson. These two guys have to pan out. These guys are both on one-year deals. They are, like, neither to me is very impressive, Steven Nelson or Anthony Harris. There's a reason why Minnesota let go of Anthony Harris, for example. Uh, It's a big deciding factor. I'm not very confident in either guy. But if Philly wants to win and have a great year, these two guys, they signed one-year contracts. Anthony Harris, Steven Nelson, they need to have a good season. And the Eagles secondary cannot be terrible. Number three. Philly has two first-round receivers. They have Jalen Rager, who was drafted uh, 21 overall in 2020 last year. And now they have Devontae Smith, the former Heisman Trophy winner from Alabama. He was drafted earlier in 2021, number 10 overall. These guys have to hit. If I, I think it's very possible both of these guys could have really good breakout years. But if Philly wants to have a good year, then they're going to have to be fantastic. And I, I think it's possible you have talent there. I got the right quarterback. Uh, and, and that's, we'll get into that in a minute. But deciding factor number four, if, if Philly wants to have a good year this year, their new head coach, Nick Sirianni, needs to be good. I have no idea what this dude is going to do. Uh, I think he started off on a bad foot with a really bad uh, interview. He was very nervous. But as I've paid attention more to Nick Sirianni and listened to him more, he's gotten more comfortable. He's done some stuff I like. And so I have an open mind here. I, I don't know how good of a head coach Nick Sirianni is. I don't really like the rumors surrounding the Eagles organization that he was brought in to be a puppet and a pawn and just do whatever the owner said. Like, that makes me feel uncomfortable. But let me tell you, by week 10, we're going to know how good of a head coach is Nick Sirianni. At least we'll know a lot more than we know today. 
And uh, certainly he was good last year as a Colts offensive coordinator. And uh, I have an open mind here. If he's a great coach, then Philadelphia's got good news and could have a good year. Now, number five, if Philadelphia wants to have a good season, then their starting quarterback, Jalen Hurts, has to have an awesome year. He was a rookie last year. Uh, basically, he outperformed Carson Wentz, stole the starting job. And uh, I, I think that Jalen Hurts' potential is off the charts. I love the guy. Uh, I did a, a video a couple years ago about three of my favorite all-time college football players. Two of them are on the Philadelphia Eagles. I love Jalen Hurts, his story, the way he stuck it out of Alabama before he transferred. Like He, he gave everything he could and realized I'm not going to beat out Tua, so then he transferred. Right? His story, his work ethic, it's legendary. I love Jalen Hurts. I also love the backup quarterback, Gardner Minshew. I met Gardner Minshew. I was there at Washington State for his senior year. Uh, and I got to be clear, if Gardner Minshew plays, it will be because either Philly is losing really badly and they want to find out what they have or because Jalen Hurts is playing badly. So uh, either way, the key to the Eagles having a good year is if, if, if Gardner Minshew is playing, something went wrong, which means they're probably not winning games. So if Philly wants to have a good year, Jalen Hurts must have a good season this year. And I think he's very capable of doing that. Go watch Jalen Hurts a couple years ago, his first year at Alabama. And then go watch him a couple years later when he fills in for Tua as the backup quarterback. And then go watch when he goes to Oklahoma and transfers. And then go watch him last year at uh, Philadelphia in the NFL as a rookie. Every year I have watched this guy, Jalen Hurts, play quarterback. He's gotten better and better and better. His work ethic is so obvious. He's clearly improving little bit by bit every season. And if he improves a little bit more this year, he could be a really good quarterback. And Philadelphia might not ever need to find out if Gardner Minshew could be their starting quarterback long term. So I, I look, I go through the list and I was looking at Philadelphia's season, doing my prediction. I'm like, well, I kept saying if this happens and if that happens and if this happens, and I'm like, OK, let's just make the list of the five things that could happen. And if they do. That means Philadelphia will be a good football team. So here are the five things that need to happen, again, in case you missed it, for Philly to have a good season. Their offensive line needs to be good and needs to be healthy. If Nick Sirianni is a good coach, they're going to have a much easier time winning. Uh, and if Anthony Harris and Steven Nelson are good, and if Jalen Rager and Devontae Smith play well, and if Jalen Hurts has a really good season as the Eagles quarterback, if all those things happen, the offensive line, the coach, the secondary, the receivers, and Jalen Hurts, if they all land and they're all really good and the dominoes fall the right way, then Philadelphia could be a very good football team. And we'll look back on my prediction. Hey, you know, three and 14, you're a massive idiot, Zach. And I'll say, well, I told you though, these were the things that were going to happen if they were going to, if I was going to be wrong. So Philly's not hopeless. There's a chance here. Uh, their defensive line is a weakness in Philadelphia if Philly can't get after opposing quarterbacks and get pressure, uh, then it's going to make things even harder on their secondary guys like Steven Nelson, Anthony Harris. So it all works together. I will say defensive tackle Fletcher Cox is still very good. He's 31 years old, but he was a pro bowler last year. Uh, young tight end Dallas Goddard is really good. He was a second round pick in 2018. He's now starting over Zach Ertz. And uh, by the way, Philly drafted a former center Landon, uh, Landon Dickerson, former Alabama center, let me be clear, Landon Dickerson, he is still recovering from a torn ACL. Uh, he's ruled out for week one. Philly got him in the second round. He's probably a first-round talent that went in the second round because he was injured. So 
I look at what Howie Roseman, the Eagles general manager, has done, where, you know, you get Jalen Hurts in the second round, you get Landon Dickerson in the second round, you trade for Gardner Minshew, who has potential to be a starter, you paid nothing for him, it's a good trade regardless of what happens. I, I don't hate Howie Roseman. I think Howie Roseman is a very shrewd decision maker who makes very smart deals. And I, I do wonder if Philadelphia is awful this year, if they go 3-14, and 14, like I, I think they have the possibility of doing. If Philly's terrible, does Howie Roseman keep his job? I, I'm genuinely curious because they went to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. They won. And since then, the coach, uh, you know, Doug Peterson got fired. The quarterback, Carson Wentz, got traded away. And it seems like Howie Roseman, the general manager, might be the next person on the chopping block. But I would also say, like, he won them a Super Bowl, so I would keep him around because sometimes, like— Philly went all in on their roster with veterans and bad, you know, not great contracts to make it happen. They kept that team together. They won a Super Bowl. And then they were paying the consequences of that, having an older roster with some guys that were overpaid maybe. And I I just think that you pay the price to go have a great experience to win a Super Bowl. And we saw the LA Rams go to a Super Bowl. They lost. They gave Todd Gurley a big contract, Jared Goff a big contract. If they'd won that Super Bowl, then having Jared Goff on a bad contract would have stung a lot less, right? So I think to some degree, Philly is still play, uh, paying the price for having that great year winning the Super Bowl when they did. And I just, that's a storyline to follow, in my opinion, is could Howie Roseman get fired if things go really, really bad? Or does the owner, Jeffrey Lurie, recognize, hey, we kind of sold our future so we could win that Super Bowl a couple of years ago? I don't know, man. He's made some smart moves, got some good trades, uh, but it's good food for thought. Is Howie Roseman's job in danger if, if the Eagles are really, really bad. Okay, let's ship gears to New York. I believe the New York Giants will go 4-13 and 13 this year. And I know how brutal that is. Giants fans are very, very angry. Uh, but look, their schedule's really, really tough. And this team, in my opinion, has two fundamental flaws that I can't overlook. That I just, I'm like, I look, that's a problem and that's a problem. And I'm not, I, you can't really get me to budge off that I, I feel bad. I feel terrible for Giants fans. Um, but I, the things that are wrong with this team cannot be fixed quickly. Now, before I explain why I think the Giants will go 4-13, and 13, let me share some good things about this team. I don't want to be all Mr. Negative. I really like this New York defense. Uh, they brought in corner Adoree Jackson and linebacker Blake Martinez is really, really good as well. Now, defensive end Leonard Williams is a guy who he got a big contract. I think he's overpaid just a little bit, but he can play, so I'm not going to complain too much about that. Uh, I like their safety, Jabril Peppers. Uh, Corner, James Bradbury is solid. Tight end Kyle Rudolph is a guy who, I think Minnesota was frustrated with his availability getting injured, and they're like, well, we don't want to pay him as much money as we're doing. So I I think that the Giants might have gotten a good deal bringing in Kyle Rudolph, their new tight end. Uh, there's some good weapons around Daniel Jones, their young quarterback. You got Saquon Barkley at running back. You have receiver Kenny Galladay. He's really solid. Uh, receiver Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton can play. They drafted a receiver, Kadarius Toney from Florida. I like tight end Evan Ingram. Like, there are some weapons here. And I, so the skill positions are great. Uh, I like Joe Judge as a head coach. He's very old school. He's hard-nosed. He's a guy who has high expectations. But from what I've talked to, he's also very clear, like, These are the expectations. You meet them or you don't. And some guys don't like it, can't handle it. Uh, I think the right kind of guy interacts with Joe Judge and is not scared but likes the challenge and rises up to the occasion. 
So I like Joe Judge. I think, I think the Giants have the right coach. I think the Giants have a lot of weapons there. Now, here are my concerns about the New York Giants. My, my two fundamental flaws I just cannot bring myself to overlook. First of all, the Giants have a tough schedule. They play Denver week one. That could be a tough game. Denver has a great roster. They play Washington twice this year. They play the Rams, Kansas City, Tampa, Miami, the LA Chargers, who are a team that I think could win their division and maybe even win a Super Bowl. Like the Chargers are way better than people realize. Dallas looked pretty good week one. New Orleans is tough. The Raiders are not an easy win. So I look at game after game after game like, man, this is a really tough schedule for the New York Giants. And people don't believe that, but that's what I see. Now, here, here are my two biggest problems, though, with the Giants. Number one, I, I, it's a twofold concern. I, I know I said two. I guess it's really three. The, the schedule is hard. My, my second concern, though, about the Giants is that I don't believe in their young quarterback, Daniel Jones. I have no faith. I just We can argue on that. Um, I, I don't think he's the right guy for the future of their franchise, and I, I think that's going to be a problem moving forward. Like, How many games this year do the Giants play in where – the other team has a better quarterback than them. It's almost every game on the roster. Like, that's a huge problem you can't overlook. Now, the other problem is I don't have any faith in this offensive line. The Giants have all these receivers and skill players and Saquon Barkley, and it's like they forgot about the offensive line. I just fundamentally do not like how this offense was built. I do not agree with the strategy and the philosophy of the Giants' general manager, Dave Gettleman. I believe that winning and doing well on offense starts with the offensive line. Like, linemen win games. You need a good offensive line, and you also need a good defensive line. Being good up front really, really matters. And this team, the way they've drafted, the way they've made moves of the recent years, uh, it seems like the Giants' front office does not put a value on offensive linemen. And I, I really don't understand that. It's very weird to me. They made all these moves. They went out and got Kenny Galladay. They drafted Saquon Barkley at running back. They got Kadarius Toney at receiver. And in the last four years, the New York Giants have had six first-round picks. Three of those six, by the way, were top ten picks. And so in the last four years, the Giants have had an opportunity to completely rebuild their offensive line. And they haven't done it. They drafted instead a running back, Saquon Barkley, number two overall. Saquon Barkley's great, man. Really talented, can run after the catch, can make people miss. But other teams are drafting running backs in the second and third round that are starters and playing very, very well. I think they overdrafted Saquon Barkley. Despite how good he is, you could have got way more value in the second round and instead built your offensive line. Because how valuable is Saquon Barkley if his offensive line is terrible? If there's no one to block for the guy, it doesn't matter. And I, I just, I, I look at that, I'm like, man, that's crazy to me. And if the Giants had drafted differently, they could both have a good offensive line right now today. They could have used even just four of those six first-round picks in the last couple of years, had a good offensive line. They still could have signed receiver Kenny Galladay from Detroit. They could have gotten Kyle Rudolph their new tight end. And then they could have made a move to trade for Gardner Minshew. Or they could have signed Tyrod Taylor, like, the way they built their team is one I just don't agree with. They got the wrong quarterback. They didn't build their offensive line. And they wasted draft picks on players that were, you know, Saquon Barkley, I still don't think was a good pick. I still think, like, how much did that really help the Giants win more football games? I'm like, look, running backs don't have as great of an impact. I, it's an old school 
behind the eight ball mentality or behind the curve, whatever the word is, it's it's definitely not good logic and good sound logic in my mind from Dave Gettleman drafting Saquon Barkley number two overall. So I just look at the way this team is built and the Giants lost their guard, Kevin Zeitler, to Baltimore. Uh, their right tackle, Nate Solders, washed up. And, and even the one offensive line they did draft in, in the first round, Andrew Thomas, number four overall from Georgia, he was bad last year. Like They picked him in 2020 and he was a disappointment. We'll see how the his season goes this year. I have an open mind still about Andrew Thomas, but um, they were hoping he'd be the left tackle of the future. He didn't show that at all last year. And so, again, I, I want to repeat this because it's very important people hear this. The way I look at it, in almost every single game the Giants play this year, the other team is a better quarterback than them. The Giants quarterback Daniel Jones is a bottom-of-the-barrel quarterback in the NFL, in my opinion. And I'm losing faith in him. I think the offensive line is going to struggle. And I don't care how good your defense is. I don't care how many running backs you have. I don't care how good your receiving core is. If your quarterback is Daniel Jones, and if Daniel Jones, your quarterback, is getting hit every play because he's getting sacked and he's on his back, it's not going to matter. And the quarterback's wrong. The offensive line is bad. For me, that's enough to say, I'm out. I just do not have faith that the New York Giants are going to have a good season this year, in spite of the fact that they've got some good players. Our defense is growing. They got the right coach. Uh, I don't hate everything on this team. But I do believe that the Giants general manager, Dave Gettleman, prioritizes the wrong things. His philosophy on how to build a team is one I fundamentally disagree with. I think he's wrong on very many things. And when the Giants offense is bad this year, and when the Giants have a bad year and lose a lot of games, we'll look at Dave Gettleman and say, well, he's to blame. He got the wrong quarterback. He shouldn't have drafted Saquon Barkley when he did. And he should have built the offensive line instead of what he did. And this team that we're going to see this year, I think have a hard time winning tough games when their quarterback is outshined by other quarterbacks on opposing rosters and their offensive line is terrible. So, man, I don't know. I, I'm not trying to be, not trying to rain on anybody's parade, uh, but I have the New York Giants going 4-13 and 13 this year. Maybe they fire Dave Gettleman. Uh, maybe not. The Giants front office, we'll see. Uh, they're a classy organization. I don't, I don't hate them. I don't hate this team. I don't hate the franchise. I feel bad for the fans, actually. Um, but I think they need a new general manager, in my opinion. And the team they have this year is incapable of winning really, really tough games like they're going to play a lot of this fall. Okay, guys, uh, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we will do the NFC West predictions. That's the LA Rams, the Arizona Cardinals, the 49ers, Seattle. Uh, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. Let's jump in and start by talking about the NFC West will start in LA. I got to say this, man. I cannot wait to watch the LA Rams play football this year. They made a massive trade this offseason. They got rid of their former starting quarterback, Jared Goff. Uh, they're replacing him with Matthew Stafford. It's a move I love. Uh, and I believe that adding Matthew Stafford makes the Rams a Super Bowl contender. This is the best team he has ever played on. This is the best coach, Sean McVay, he has ever played for. And I believe the Rams are going to go 12-5 and and win the NFC West. Look, I got no problem if you disagree. We can talk about that in a moment. Uh, now, I, I do want to talk about the Rams' defense. Uh, last year, they had the best defense in the entire NFL. And, and since then, they lost three starting defenders. They lost safety John Johnson. He went to Cleveland. Uh, corner Troy Hill also left L.A. And followed John Johnson, went to the Cleveland Browns as well. Defensive end Michael Brockers went to Detroit. 
And these are tough losses. I can't deny that. I'm not going to pretend they didn't happen. I'm not going to brush it under the rug. Like losing a, a couple players in your secondary, losing a defensive end, that's a big deal. And so I'm not going to be shocked if the Rams are not the very best defense in the entire NFL. In fact, I don't expect them to be. But also, they don't need to be. Last year, the Rams' defense had to be good in order to keep them in games. They didn't trust their quarterback and didn't believe they could score points. I'm drinking the Matthew Stafford Kool-Aid this year. Like, I am all in on Matthew Stafford. And I frankly believe that his impact is going to make up for the people they lost on defense. Like, his ability to score points. They trust him at the end of a game. They can win with game-winning drives if they need to. Uh, I understand they lost starters on defense, but not having to rely as heavily on their defense actually is a good thing, and it will make up for the fact that they lost a couple starters on that side of the ball. Now, the Rams did lose uh, tight end Gerald Everett to Seattle. I think they'll be okay, though. They still have Tyler Higby. He's not going to be splitting reps anymore. He'll need to step up a little bit, but I have really supreme confidence in Tyler Higby's ability uh, to be a great tight end. At receiver, the Rams have Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. They also brought in veteran receiver Deshaun Jackson. He's 34 years old. And look, he might be washed up. Uh, but he also, I, I have really low expectations of him. So I want to leave the door open for Deshaun Jackson to have a big impact. He's a big play guy. And maybe it's just a play. Like maybe there's like three games this year where Deshaun Jackson has a really big long touchdown. And that's all he does. But sometimes it's all you need. So keep your eye on Deshaun Jackson. He might have an impact in a game or two this year. I am worried about left tackle Andrew Whitworth. He's 39, almost 40, turns 40 in December. And he could be a weakness. I worry about him getting hurt. Uh, now, another thing I, I worry about, I don't, well, let me be clear, I don't worry about it. It's bad news, but I'm also, I'm starting to turn the corner and be confident and actually kind of excited. Rams running back Cam Akers tore his Achilles. That's the bad news. That's terrible. That's awful. But then they traded for former Patriots running back Sony Michelle. Sony Michelle got traded from the Patriots he was a first-round pick in 2018. He's a guy who, in my opinion, has never really fully reached his potential as a running back. And uh, I believe him, that both him, Sony Michelle, and Daryl Henderson Jr. are two running backs who are going to be elevated by Sean McVay's really, really creative running schemes this year in L.A. Like, Sean McVay's ability to create holes and do stuff on the offensive line, it's unbelievable. And I'm really, really confident in Sony Michelle's ability and we've seen over and over again, like the same way Cam Akers did, he got to the NFL, looked great. Like Sean McVay's offense elevates the running backs that play in his offense. So I'm excited to watch Tony Michelle this year, along with Daryl Henderson Jr. Really, in, in my opinion, this year comes down to how much do you believe in Matthew Stafford, the Rams' new starting quarterback? This team is very capable of winning a lot of games. I haven't even mentioned yet, you know, they have Aaron Donald, the best defensive tackle in the entire NFL. He might even win the defensive player of the year. They have corner Jalen Ramsey. He's a shutdown corner. He can literally shut down people like, you know, DK Metcalf, the receiver in Seattle. He can and he will shut him down. So the Rams last year are a team that was really good. They made the playoffs with Jared Goff at quarterback. In fact, once upon a time, they even went to a Super Bowl with Jared Goff. I believe Matthew Stafford is a major upgrade on Jared Goff. He makes up with the couple players they lost. They'll be okay. They have a much better quarterback now. I just, man, I, I think I can't say this enough. I watched the film of Matthew Stafford. I regret not putting out a film analysis about him. I mean, it was a crazy offseason. I'm still trying to catch up and finish all my predictions before the year starts. But that's the film analysis I wish I'd finished because I did all the research. And I, I just think that Matthew Stafford, so clearly when you watch film, was buried by the media. He was in Detroit, a bad market on a bad football team. So nobody paid attention to like how many incredible 
really good throws this dude made. And uh, he's really going to open people's eyes this year in L.A. Matthew Stafford's going to be awesome. It's not very complicated to me. Like, I I think Matthew Stafford makes the Rams a Super Bowl contender. And you either agree with that or you don't. All right, let's shift gears to the 49ers. I believe the 49ers will go 11-6 and this year. First of all, let's talk about their defense. They have a crazy good front seven. They have two stud defensive ends, Eric Armstead and Nick Bosa. D Ford's pretty good too, by the way. They have at defensive tackle, Javon Kinlaw and DJ Jones. Linebackers, Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw. They also have a corner, Emmanuel Mosley. They gave a two-year, $10 million deal to bring him back and keep him on their team. But I, I think the most impressive thing about this football team is just how good they are on both the offensive line and defensive line. Up front on both sides of the ball, they are really, really good and in some ways even dominant. On the offensive line, they have Trent Williams at left tackle, Mike McGlinchey at right tackle, and then they made a very, very smart move. They signed Alex Mack, a center in free agency, a guy who came over from Atlanta. He's a six-time pro bowler. And it's moves like that which make me really, really consistently impressed with the 49ers general manager, John Lynch. He does such a good job finding and replacing talent. He's Every offseason, making some kind of move here and there, whether it's moving up in the draft or getting this guy or filling a hole, you know, getting Trent Williams is really, really impressive. Uh, I just, I really, really admire the good work that 49ers general manager John Lynch does. Now, the 49ers do not have a ton of depth at receiver. They have three guys I like, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and Muhammad Sanu. But after that, it's pretty thin, and that might be one of the weaknesses of this football team is they're just not very deep at receiver. And if guys get hurt, they're in trouble and not going to be able to withstand that. They lost Kendrick Bourne in the offseason to New England. And uh, depth at receiver, that's a problem for the 49ers. Now, the 49ers do have arguably, and who I would argue is, the best tight end in all of football, George Kittle. What's great about George Kittle, most tight ends either block or catch passes. He can do both. He can block like a madman. He's incredible at catching passes and making moves, by the way, after the catch and having long runs. Uh, George Kittle is phenomenal. Running back where he mostered is really, really good. Plus, they drafted a former Ohio State running back, Trey Sermon. He is underrated, and I think Trey Sermon's going to have a much bigger impact than people realize on this 49ers season. Now, the story of the year for the 49ers is their quarterback situation. Jimmy Garoppolo has been their starting quarterback for a couple of years, and he gets hurt all the time. And, And frankly, even when he's healthy, Jimmy G has limitations. He's a guy who... I don't think is capable of helping you win a Super Bowl. So the 49ers made a big move. They traded up in the NFL draft to number three overall and drafted former North Dakota State quarterback Trey Lance. I am a really big Trey Lance believer. Once he's ready, he's going to be a star. Uh, Now, I really, really, really trust the 49ers head coach Kyle Shanahan. I think he's going to do a great job developing Trey Lance. And if at any point during, you know, maybe mid-season or towards the end of the year, if any point, if at any point they elevate Trey Lance and make him their starting quarterback, he's going to do really, really well. I just cannot imagine the 49ers putting Trey Lance into a situation where he's not prepared and going to do poorly. Um, I, I just think, and, and by the way, if Trey Lance can figure things out very, very quickly, he's capable of, like, if, if somehow he's, like, just progresses way faster than anybody thinks, He's going to raise the potential of this team a lot. And I think if the only situation and only scenario where I see the 49ers potentially winning a Super Bowl this year is if somehow, look, if 
if this kid, Trey Lance, can develop way faster than we think, have a, you know, the same way Justin Herbert did, frankly, last year. And he's just destroying teams way more than we think. That's the only path I see for the 49ers winning a Super Bowl this year. As long as Jimmy Garoppolo is there, I've seen him enough. I know he's just limited and too limited to help them win a Super Bowl. Now, the nightmare situation here is if Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt in the first couple weeks, you know, well before Trey Lance is ready, uh, because I think it would be the worst thing if he was forced to go in before he was really, really ready to be a starting quarterback. Now, I I will say this, regardless of who the 49ers put at quarterback, I do believe they're going to win a lot of games. Their schedule has some matchups that I go, oh boy, that's winnable, that's winnable. Uh, I'll list these seven games. The Lions, the Eagles, the Bears, the Jaguars, the Bengals, the Falcons, and the Houston Texans. In all seven of those games, the 49ers are going to have a significantly better roster. And like, yeah, Joe Burrow's better than Jimmy Garoppolo, um, Atlanta's got a better quarterback, Matt Ryan, but the roster matters. Like having good linemen, linemen win games, having a good team around you, that's going to matter. And I think the 49ers walk away from those seven games, seven and oh, and that is really how I see the 49ers getting to 11 wins pretty easily. Uh, the roster is so dominant that winning seven games like that, you're only, you have, you have 10 games left on your schedule and you can win four of 10 games against you know, average to pretty good teams. So I I really like the likelihood of the 49ers winning 11 games this year. I don't believe the 49ers are going to win a Super Bowl. I did say the only way they possibly could is if Trey Lance is just a monster at some point later this year. But Trey Lance would have to play out of his mind for that to happen. Uh, I believe the 49ers are going to go 11 and 6. They are going to be second in the NFC West and uh, get a playoff spot. 11 and 6, good year, not a Super Bowl victory. But hopefully a good year of 49ers fans can feel very, very good about. Now, I believe the Arizona Cardinals will go 9-8 and eight this year. And if that's enough to get them into the playoffs, good for them. And I believe a playoff spot would secure Cliff Kingsbury's job as the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. He's on the hot seat, in my opinion. Now, if Arizona goes 9-8 and eight and misses the playoffs or... Man, it's just nowhere near the playoff hunt. I think Cliff Kingsbury is going to lose his job. Now, Arizona made a, t- a number of moves uh, to improve their roster. They brought in a couple veterans. They brought in J.J. Watt at defensive end and wide receiver A.J. Green. So a lot of people don't realize there's one move the Cardinals made that I go, oh, that's a big deal. And, and people aren't talking about it. Not a lot of people talk about special teams. The Arizona Cardinals signed veteran kicker Matt Prater. And that was a much-needed upgrade. Their kicker last year missed a couple of field goals in key moments in, you know, at the end of games. And now, unlike last year, Arizona has a reliable veteran kicker, a guy they can trust at the end of a game to make a kick when they need it. And uh, adding Matt Prater is a big deal for Arizona. Now, they also traded for new starting center Rodney Hudson. They only gave up a seventh-round pick to get him from the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, I will say, despite adding Rodney Hudson, the offensive line for Arizona— is still a question for me. I'm particularly skeptical of right guard Josh Jones and right tackle Kelvin Beecham. Uh, this offensive line, they're making progress. They're not as bad as they were last year, but they're also still not where they need to be. And I frankly do not trust this offensive line at all. Against teams like Cleveland or Indianapolis or San Francisco, teams that have a good defensive line are going to force Kyler Murray to run around a bunch and survive and extend plays. 
And I, I don't think that they're going to beat a team that's got a really good defensive line because of their offensive line being such a weakness. Now, the Cardinals have running back Chase Edmonds. I really like him. He's a stud. And they also brought in former Steelers running back James Conner. But the strength of this football team, like by a mile, and it's kind of an, an unusual one for an NFL team, the strength of this team is their wide receiving core. They brought in A.J. Green from Cincinnati. He's a stud, former Pro Bowler. Uh, and they are pairing him alongside incredible receiver, maybe the best receiver in the NFL, DeAndre Hopkins. Plus, they have Christian Kirk and Andy Isabella. I'm also excited to watch rookie receiver Rondale Moore out of Purdue. This is one of the best, if not the very best, receiving core in the entire NFL. Now, it's a weird thing to be dominantly good at because receivers are great, uh, and they certainly alleviate a lot of pressure, but they... If your quarterback's on his back, getting hit all the time, it's not going to matter. So offensive line is key for the Arizona Cardinals, and uh, they got to get the ball out of Kyler Murray's hands really quickly. I hope they move him around a lot outside the pocket, you know, rolling him out, or uh, hopefully he extends plays. Uh, Now, Kyler Murray, their starting quarterback, though, is unbelievable. And and thank God this guy can run. He's one of my favorite young quarterbacks in the NFL. He's got a massive arm. I know he's a shorter quarterback, but Kyler Murray's arm strength is actually supremely underrated. Uh, Go watch him in college. He made a throw against West Virginia a couple years ago at Oklahoma where you're just like, I can't believe I, I did a film analysis of that that game and I was just like, that's an unbelievable throw. His arm is massive. And if you're a shorter quarterback, you can learn from watching Kyler Murray how to make the most of your size and use your body to generate a lot of velocity. Now, uh, Kyler is an explosive runner. Like he's a really, really quick dude. His ability to extend plays and make people miss in their perimeter is unbelievable. Like I've never seen a quarterback get to the outside as quickly as he can. He makes people miss. I, there was a, a run. Was it two years ago? Last year? I don't know. He beat every linebacker to the outside and got an easy touchdown. Like his ability to get to the sideline and beat people to the outside. is just crazy to me. Uh, and he's also a great passer, like truly a one of a kind talent. A lot of people compare Kyler Murray to Lamar Jackson because Lamar Jackson's another quarterback who can run. But frankly, Kyler has a way, way better arm than Lamar Jackson. Now, on defense uh, for Arizona, you have two guys coming off the edge. You have Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt. Both guys can get after the quarterback. Uh, Now, the key here, though, is they have to stay healthy. J.J. Watt is 32. Chandler Jones is 31. They're both on the wrong side of 30. And they both have an injury history. Now, safety Buda Baker is one of the best in the entire NFL. Uh, I am very, very excited to watch him. The Cardinals have a couple young linebackers. Zayvon Collins is a rookie. Isaiah Simmons is going into year two. They were both drafted in back-to-back years in the first round. I'm excited to watch that. And uh, Arizona, look, they've got enough talent to win some games, but they are not good enough to go on a very deep, long playoff run. They go 9-8. and eight. Uh, That makes a lot of sense to me. If their offensive line takes a step backwards and is not as good as I think they will be, which isn't that – I have pretty low – you know, tempered expectations for the Arizona Cardinals offensive line. If they're awful, though, it could be a really ugly year. And on the flip side, if they do well, and then if J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones stay healthy and get after quarterbacks really well and dominate, and if Arizona's secondary can play better than I think they're going to be, they could win more than nine games. Like, Arizona is capable if a couple guys play above their expectation level and, you know, play out of their minds, like you would put it. Arizona has potential to win more games, but I see them right at eight, nine and eight. So nine wins, eight losses. A, that gets them the seventh seed in my predictions. Uh, but if they have a nine and eight season 
and are not in the mix for a playoff spot or they don't make the playoffs, then I think it will be the end of Cliff Kingsbury's time in Arizona and their coach will get fired. Okay, let's shift to Seattle. Oh, man, it's going to be a fun one. I believe the Seattle Seahawks will go, wait for it, 6-11 and 11 this year. And uh, they're going to finish last in the NFC West. I know that makes a lot of people very, very angry. I'm from the Northwest. Uh, but I, look, I got to be honest. I feel kind of crazy. I look at people picking the Seattle Seahawks to win the Super Bowl, and I'm like, is that just because I know people from the Northwest? Or, or, or does, is everybody really high on Seattle? Am I just crazy and out of touch? I really don't understand what people are seeing other than, of course, Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, and Jamal Adams. Do people realize, though, that you need a lot more than just a really good quarterback to win a Super Bowl? Like, it's, it's very bizarre to me. People always talk about how Aaron Rodgers needs more help. Like, Aaron needs more help to win. Well, <laughs> Aaron's team is way, way, way better than Russell Wilson. And if Aaron Rodgers needs more help, then certainly a thousand percent true Russell Wilson does, too. And in my opinion— it's my opinion. You might be angry when I say this. This is one of the worst rosters that's ever been put around Russell Wilson during his time in Seattle. Like they, when they won a Super Bowl, they had so much talent. Point to the talent on this football team. I see a couple aging people, you know, Bobby Wagner, but Seattle, man, they're first of all really, really bad at corner, and you know they lost both of their starting corners from last year, Shaq Griffin and Quinton Dunbar, and. I just think they're asking Russell Wilson to carry this team. And I, I just frankly, like, when are they going to learn their lesson? Is it because they're paying him too much and can't afford to get him help? Like, what's going on in Seattle that they don't seem to understand you need to help this guy? Like, because of their secondary, I'm really not sure how they plan to stop Arizona or the Rams. I know they have Jamal Adams. He's a guy who's a great tackler, who's in the box a lot, gets a lot of sacks, but... I think Jamal Adams literally doesn't have an entire interception in his entire career. Let me look that up. That sounds crazy. I'm going to look that up. Am I, am I right on that? Let me, give me a second. So Jamal Adams has been in the league for four years. 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. In those four years, he has two. Two interceptions in his entire NFL career. Okay. So Jamal Adams isn't going to be the guy who I think is going to really, really make an impact in their secondary. Uh, they have a solid starting safety next to, like, to be clear, Jamal Adams is a star, is a stud uh, he's not the guy, him and Quandre Diggs are not enough. Like you need corners and they're really, really weak at corner in Seattle. They also moved on from linebacker KJ Wright. Uh, now they do have veteran linebacker, Bobby Wagner and on offense, you got DK Metcalf. He's a star receiver. Tyler Lockett is really good. Uh, they did bring in former Rams tight end, Gerald Everett. Now uh, he's going to have a good impact. He'll play alongside Will Disley, another tight end running back. Chris Carson is back. So is Rashad Penny. And I'm also interested in wide receiver D. Eskridge. He's out of Western Michigan. He's super fast. Like, what's he going to look like this year? There's not no talent in Seattle, but I'll say the same thing I said about the Dallas Cowboys. Like, having a couple talented players does not mean you have a good football team. And I watched Aaron Rodgers have horrible year after horrible year. Like, having even a Hall of Fame quarterback isn't enough to help you win football games. And I think people just don't know the roster very well. And they're like, well, we have Russell Wilson. That's not enough, dude. Like, your quarterback can't carry you to a Super Bowl. It's not how it works in the NFL. Now, Seattle does have a new offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron. They brought him in from the Rams. Uh, I hope he adds some new creativity to this offense with play calling and play design. I'd love to see that. I hope he does really, really well. 
Dwayne Brown is back at left tackle. Uh, they also traded for Raiders guard Gabe Jackson. But I, I just look at this team and all I see are problems. I wonder, like, how are they going to get after opposing quarterbacks? Their pass rush is really, really weak. Their secondary is really bad. I worry about their corners. Like, I, I like Quandre Diggs. I like Jamal Adams. They're not the answer here. Like, they're, they're, their corners are just a really big problem that I have no faith in. Like, how are you going to defend Robert Woods and Matthew Stafford or Kyler Murray and A.J. Green and DeAndre Hopkins? I don't see how Seattle does really well in their division this year. I'm not impressed with Seattle's offensive line, and it, it just seems like I, – I don't know, man. I, I'm, I just feel like I'm the only person in the world who has a sane thought about Seattle. Am I crazy? I might be crazy. In fact, I, let me tell you. Week eight, if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll reevaluate and say, hey, here's why I was wrong and what happened. But I don't think I'm wrong here. I think a lot of other people are wrong. And it, does that make me crazy? Maybe. Does that make me brave, willing to be alone here, saying Seattle's going to have a bad year? Possibly. Because I just – I see other people – picking Seattle to win a Super Bowl and I'm like what are they seeing like do, do I have cancer like in my brain or just in my is there something I just cannot see I don't get it and I I understand I've said this many times during this topic but having a Hall of Fame quarterback which they have Russell Wilson it's not enough on this team they are both unimpressive on the offensive line and on the defensive line and when they play Washington week 12 Russell Wilson their Hall of Fame quarterback is going to be running for his life. Like, what's your plan there? What's your plan against Arizona? And, and in fact, actually, during my predictions, I had Seattle going 5-12. and 12. And I was like, well, that, that's crazy. Like, that can't happen. And so I talked myself into, I, I went through their scheduling and gave them another win. I ended, I ended up at 6-11. and 11. But I still believe Seattle's going to start 1-4. and four. Uh, Week 1, they play at the Colts. The Colts are way better up front. I think, yeah, Seattle's got a better quarterback. Great. I think Carson's going to be really good. And the front seven and the offensive line for Indianapolis is going to dominate Seattle. Week 2, how is Seattle going to stop Derrick Henry and Julio Jones and A.J. Brown? Like, what's your plan? You have terrible corners. You can load the box. Jamal Adams comes down in the box. Maybe they're going to stop Derrick Henry. I could see that happening. But they'll get beat over the top over and over again by Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. I just, I, I'm like, what's the plan here? I don't understand. I don't see a way Seattle wins that game. Week three at Minnesota, it's a tough game. Uh, I gave that to Seattle. I said they're going to win that game. Then week four at the 49ers and week five at the Rams. Like, more tough games. And I, I don't see – maybe I'm not creative enough to come up with a game plan for how Seattle can beat really good football teams like that. But I don't, I don't see it. Both the 49ers and the Rams have better rosters. So – then there's another gauntlet, by the way, week 10 through week 13 at Green Bay, Arizona, at Washington, then the 49ers again. I'll repeat this. Russell Wilson is being asked to carry this football team. Uh, and I think, again, part of their problem is they pay Russell Wilson too much, and so they can't afford to get him as much help as they need. But this year, that you know them overpaying Russell Wilson is going to catch up to them, and I do not have a lot of confidence Obviously, in the Seattle Seahawks, I have them going 6-11. and 11. Call me crazy if I'm wrong. Look, we'll talk about it week, week 8, and I'll say, here's why I was wrong. Here's what happened. But I, I just, I'm alone on an island. I'm the only person in the world who doesn't feel good about Seattle. It feels weird to me, but I, I, I think I'm going to trust my process. I'm going to say, here's what I see, and uh, if, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and I'll talk about it. But I, I, right now, I, I don't see how Seattle is as good as everyone else is predicting them to be. Uh, and I, I just I have no confidence they're going to have a great year. And definitely, Seattle is not going to be a Super Bowl team. All right, guys, that's all I have. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. 
Uh, I will talk to you very, very soon. Until then, uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.